Welcome to Bitcoin Sermons, the podcast that preaches how Bitcoin is connected to the coming of Jesus. It's a fascinating topic, and I think it's like the elephant in the room that not many are really talking about, even though it's so obvious. Well, whether you're a Bitcoiner or a Christian or both, this podcast has something for you. In today's episode, I want to talk to you about topics that have been building up all this week in my mind, starting with a little nudge. Since about roughly the beginning of the new year, when we began to understand some very interesting things regarding the foundation of the kingdom of God and how Bitcoin plays into that. Now, I saw this week someone had mentioned December 18 in connection with Bitcoin, and I haven't had a chance to research that yet, so I want to do that with you today. And it also came to my attention this week just how much BlackRock has been involved in the recent rise of the Bitcoin price. And this, I think, is very significant, but maybe not in the way that people typically think. And that's something I want to dig into with you from a biblical perspective. And then I want to just talk to you about some of the ideas that have been working in my mind that I think are taking shape enough in terms of our understanding of the Word of God such that I have a basis on which to explain these things. And this is pertaining to the temple of God and its construction. So that's just kind of a little preview of where I would like to go in this episode. And I'm really not sure what direction it's going to take or how this is going to unfold. So I'm looking forward to it and I hope you enjoy it. So I guess uh, let's start right in with an important understanding that I think helps us to keep a level head and not throw the baby out with the bathwater at times. And that's the understanding that Satan is the great copycat. He's the great counterfeiter. And this, by the way, is interestingly, a major component of today's financial world, where we have basically money printing unleashed. And I actually saw a clip this week. I wish I could find it again. I tried to find it and I couldn't find it. But essentially, the central bankers were, one of them was speaking at a table with others, and they were talking about, he was talking about how good it is to be a central banker, that you can just print the money, and that what they do is they actually figure out the calculations based on how much money they ended up needing to print. And he jokingly, or, or not jokingly, but humor, uh, laughingly remarked that they just print the money, and thankfully people believe it. Knock on wood, he says. And so they know full well what they're doing, that they are basically just 
counterfeiting money. They're printing money. They're creating money out of nothing. That's exactly what counterfeiting is. If you would take a photocopier and photocopy your dollar bills, obviously they're made in such a way that you can't actually do that. But if you could, if you could just print money at very little cost, that's called counterfeiting. And yet that's what the powers in charge of the financial system are doing on a constant basis as a matter of policy, and they're getting away with it. Knock on wood, as they say, which is a superstitious gesture in itself. And I'm of the opinion that that charade of money printing is coming to an end, and we'll talk more about that. But to this point, that Satan is the great counterfeiter means that for everything that he does, for every counterfeit that the great copycat makes, there is an original that he's copying, and that original pertains to God. Now, if the whole monetary system has no basis anymore, and it's just constant money printing, constant counterfeiting, it's one giant system of counterfeit. It's one giant counterfeit system. And what is the original which this system is a counterfeit of? What is the original system of value in the kingdom of God? What is the original money of God's kingdom? Well, we talked about that in a previous episode recently where we came to understand that Bitcoin represents the total value of the earth, and that because Christ died for the world, it represents the total value of Jesus Christ, because he gave his life for this earth. And that's a deep, deep insight. And that changed the way that I view Bitcoin. Bitcoin, because of its hard cap because of its non-inflationary nature, is an accurate valuation of the entire world to the extent that the entire world adopts it. Because there are only 21 million Bitcoins that were, will ever be available in this world. Okay, so that concept is really a paradigm shift for me. One that really establishes how Bitcoin is the monetary system of the kingdom of God. In the book of Revelation, in the verses pertaining to the seventh trumpet, we read, And the seventh angel sounded, and I believe this is the time we're living in right now, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. I believe Bitcoin is the mechanism through which the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord. Because Bitcoin's hard cap puts its valuation as the valuation of the whole planet and beyond, if you wish. Now, I don't want to delve too much more into that in this episode, but it's important, I think, to the topic in general, just to kind of have that in the back of one's mind. Interestingly, in the interlude between the sixth and the seventh trumpet in Revelation are these verses about 
The mighty angel who came down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, as it describes in Revelation 10.1. And in verse 2 it says, And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea, and his left foot upon the earth. Now, this angel came down from heaven, put one foot on the earth and one foot on the sea. So we have heaven, earth, and sea all connected by this one angel. And again in verse 5, And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven. Again, earth, sea, and heaven are connected. And then he swore, verse 6, And swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, which we read from the next chapter already, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. So, we can go in many different directions with this. But I want to emphasize, first of all, and most importantly, that these verses highlight the fact that we are in a crucial and important time in the history of the earth. And this is given by oath by this mighty angel here who utters his voice like a lion. Okay, well, I bring these verses to you for a particular reason, and that's because I was watching a presentation this week that was, well, let's just say describing some of the principles involved in the legal system of this world, the court system, how it works, what some of the things mean. And one of the points that struck me so clearly in this lecture that I was listening to was the fact that there are three realms, so to speak, in which the law deals. And these can be understood through the word law itself as an acronym. Law, L-A-W, represents these three areas that we just read about in the book of Revelation. L for land, A for air or heaven, and W for water. And as this man was explaining in this presentation, and I'll, I'll just tell you, this was David Strait that I was listening to, and I don't endorse everything that he teaches, but some of these details I found particularly insightful. And I think Satan in his kingdom is a lot wiser to symbolism sometimes, even biblical symbolism, than the children of light, so to speak. And I want to just probe into these things a little bit here with you. Well, as he was speaking about the law and the three realms in which law operates, he was describing the land as being the area pertaining to private property, which you can understand in connection with land ownership. And the area of heaven, air, he describes as 
ecclesiastical, being the highest of the three aspects of the law, which of course pertains to spiritual things. And that in the legal system, this is reflected in trust law, and that deals with the fiduciary or the responsibility of trustees and so forth. And the water, which is where the ships sail, this is involving contract law. And that's where all manner of commerce is involved. And so these three jurisdictions are represented here in Revelation chapter 10, and they all come together in this scene. Now, I don't necessarily have a full picture of how this all relates, but I found that explanation of the legal system quite insightful, but perhaps not as impacting as something else that he said. And he described the court system, and in particular, the way that the courts operate as being a seance. Each court session is a seance. Now, he had a couple of reasons for saying that. First of all, the courts deal with the general public as if they are incompetent, not as if they are living human beings. In other words, they treat people as if they are dead. That's how the legal system works. And when they summon a person to court by issuing a summons, notice that it's the same word used in a seance of summoning the spirits. In other words, the courts are summoning the dead to appear. And lo and behold, they appear in court. And notice again, the word is the same word that a spirit appears during a seance. Well, the spirits appear in court as well when they are summoned. But it's not just a similarity in the terminology. It's a similarity in the concept of the way the court system operates and the way that the decisions are made in the courts. And essentially, the insight that I came out of this with is the understanding that the way the court system works is actually an implementation of the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of the dead here on earth. And the living people, uh, living in the sense of flesh and blood, like people, who the courts consider incompetent and therefore dead, these people are essentially sold out to Satan, not by their deliberate choice, but by not standing for their own freedom, I would say freedom in Christ, okay? Now, another similarity he described, or shall I say another accurate terminology used in the legal system, is the term vessel, and that people are vessels. Well, this is completely biblical. The Bible also describes people as vessels, and people or vessels can be occupied or possessed by evil spirits. That is a biblical concept, and that is the concept, the, the same framework, it's the same pattern used in the legal system, and that's what allows the courts to treat individuals or corporations as entities that are held or possessed by others. So, for example, you can have a corporation, and in there is the word corpse or dead body. A corporation is like a dead 
person, a dead body, but in law it's treated as a body nonetheless, as a legal entity, and it's controlled by whoever owns that company or whoever is the fiduciary in terms of the laws of the air, possessing or controlling or occupying that dead body. So in the mechanisms of law here on earth are these concepts of spiritualism or spiritism that are so prevalent in the Bible and that were prophesied to play an important role at the end of time. We just haven't really been aware of where that spiritualism is being manifested. It's been in front of our faces through the court system all along. Now, if you've ever thought about how to deal with the court system and basically if you've ever really set your mind to understand these things on a deeper level, perhaps for your own interests or your own uh, financial benefit or legal protection or whatever the case may be in your circumstances, you've probably come to the realization that there's a whole lot of nonsense going on here that essentially allows those who are wealthy and adept, those who are competent in the legal terminology, to deal with these systems and understand these systems, they can have a lot of advantages and a lot of benefits. And that's how a lot of the rich people in the world manage to become rich and stay rich uh, by uh, avoiding taxation, for example. And they do it in ways that are entirely legal. They use the system of the dead, the kingdom of the dead, to their advantage. And that's that's kind of how Satan has worked all along. He promises great things to those who join his kingdom. But ultimately, all that comes at the expense of those who are, well, dumber and more impoverished and not really able to rise and and take advantage of the system. Or perhaps they just don't want to because they sense there's something unholy about the whole legal system, and rightfully so. You know, it's, it's said that politicians are liars. It's said that lawyers are liars, you know, and not to make blanket statements, but there's a reason why people say these things as blanket statements. It's because, as a general rule, there is so much corruption in these areas. Well, this understanding of the world's legal system as being an implementation of the kingdom of the dead, the kingdom of Satan, here on earth, really opened my eyes. And particularly, I was studying this in connection with or in contrast to Bitcoin, looking at the principles of sovereignty and how one can hold Bitcoin in a sovereign way under the law or with the protection of the law, so to speak. And this is kind of the angle that I was investigating these things from. And it really opened my eyes to the fact that the the entire legal system is against, it's antithetical to Bitcoin because it's premised on this condescending notion that people are incompetent by default 
and therefore the government presumes them dead, essentially, and presumes the right over their estate and presumes all these things in order to keep them in subjection. And the people basically just go along with it because the government is stronger. And they, for example, put up with inflation, put up with taxes, not because it's justified or right in a moral sense, but because they feel powerless and they don't really know how the system works and they don't really understand it enough and they don't want to because they sense the corruption in it. And so they just prefer to remain ignorant and trust the propaganda and think that by hard work and you know effort and being a good person that they can ultimately do all right, even if the government's taking maybe an unfair share or whatever. Well, you know, that's the state that the government wants to keep people in because that gives them the full right and the full opportunity to essentially take advantage of others so long as they allow it. Why not, right? That's their thinking. Well, that's unethical to say the least, but that's how the kingdom of Satan operates. Bitcoin is different, and it operates on the principles of the kingdom of God. It operates on the principles of sovereignty. When you hold your coin under your own key, that's yours. Nobody can take it. And even if you don't do anything with it and let it rot, so to speak, you forget your key and lose access to those coins, you haven't harmed anyone and you haven't harmed the system. That wealth is just taken off the market and and manifests in deflation which is a misnomer because it actually increases the price of the value of the remaining Bitcoin in the hands of others. So your irresponsibility is actually a benefit to others. Or to frame it more nicely, you are incentivized to be responsible under the system of Bitcoin. So these are fascinating, fascinating topics, in my opinion. And I just wanted to share some of these things with you, at least at a high level. And if you're really interested in these things at a deeper level, you can find the resources and learn more about this on your own. But the point that I want to really come to in this episode in relation to Bitcoin in connection with the coming of Jesus, which is the theme of this podcast, is that Bitcoin, being that it represents the kingdom of God in contrast to the existing fiat financial system, which is all connected to the legal system. Originally, the banks and the courts were essentially one and the same. It's all one system, okay? But to kind of tie this back to Revelation 10 and this angel that came down from heaven, put his foot on the land and on the sea and swore by all three jurisdictions of the law, land, air, and sea, I would venture to say that, in a certain sense, Bitcoin is that angel or is connected to it in some way because it is the system that implements private property rights. It implements trust law, in a sense, in the sense that you can hold a private key in trust, as all Bitcoin custodians do. You can pass it on to future generations or hold the fiduciary responsibility for those funds for others in any way, shape, or form. And, of course, it deals with contract law as well. And that's why covenants, contracts, 
are such a big topic in the realm of Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies in general. And so, you know, all the technical features, the multi-sig, the covenants, you know, all these things that are considered aspects of the technology of Bitcoin are actually a sort of a divine type of legal framework that is built into the Bitcoin nodes, which are in turn operated by individuals, plebs, or common people in their choice of Bitcoin node version. They serve as voters in the perfect voting scenario that we talked about in connection with the social compacts theory of civil government. So all this is coming together to show that Bitcoin is a divine pattern. It's a spiritual pattern in so far as Bitcoin is not a physical money. It's a spiritual pattern. It's a heavenly pattern, so to speak, a metaphysical pattern, not physical, for how the kingdom of God operates. And to the degree that this system takes over the earth, to the degree that Bitcoin is adopted worldwide, is the degree to which those verses that we read of the kingdoms of this world becoming the kingdoms of our Lord are fulfilled. Okay, I, th I find that fascinating. But on the other side, to the degree that Bitcoin is not adopted, we remain in this system of the world of the dead, the kingdom of the dead, which is the kingdom of the courts and the legal system, the lawyers, the, all this uh, stuff. Okay, With Bitcoin, you have no need for courts, right? Because the system itself judges righteously, not your keys, not your coins. So the whole justice system as it relates to money is unnecessary in the context of Bitcoin. And so the kingdom of the dead is being presently overcome by the kingdom of the living, of the sovereigns, of those who by their own living actions dispose of their resources as they choose. This is powerful. This is huge. This is the fulfillment of the kingdoms of this world becoming the kingdoms of Jesus Christ. He was the owner of this world. And through his death on the cross, he transmitted in trust in the highest form of spiritual law, the highest jurisdiction of spiritual law. He transferred in trust this world to us through giving us Bitcoin. That's wow. That is amazing. And he's done it in an impartial way such that in the use of Bitcoin, true justice is ultimately exercised. The justice of heaven, the righteousness of God. This is what the day of judgment is all about, friends. And who is being judged in the time of the seventh trumpet? Let's read that verse. Back to chapter 11 of Revelation. We read verse 15. Let's skip on down to verse 18. It says, And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged. And who are the dead? Who, where, what is this kingdom of the dead? We just talked about it. It's the whole legal and court system and financial system that's in place in the world today. That is the kingdom of the dead. And that kingdom is now being judged. 
And that judgment is connected here in the verse going on, and that thou shouldest give reward. It's connected to reward. And that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. So, first of all, this reward to the servants, isn't that what Bitcoin foreshadows or illustrates? It's the reward to small and great, to the poor and the wealthy, the justice that was withheld from them under the existing system of seance courts, the, the courts of the dead. Now we are being rewarded through Bitcoin as a foreshadowing of the ultimate re- heavenly reward. In a certain sense, it is the spiritual reward in, in that it's a non-tangible money. But of course, we look forward to the literal heaven, the physical heaven as well, the physical reward of the new earth. Okay, this is all very deep. Okay, and when we talk about the time of the dead that they should be judged, we understand that to be in reference to the millennium and the judgment, the the penalty being affixed to all the wicked who will ultimately be destroyed after the millennium. That starts today with the court system, the system of the dead, the existing fiat financial system, and those who took advantage, those who were most evil, the Bill Gateses, the George Soroses, the Rockefellers, the whoever whoever you want to name there, those who abused the ignorance of the masses the most, those who benefited the most from this corrupt system, they are going to pay the highest price. And Bitcoin shows that in, in, in the way that things play out. Okay, fascinating, fascinating fulfillment of these verses. And coming to the last part here, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. Just a reminder that that word destroy could be better translated as corrupt. The wrath of God will destroy those who corrupt the earth. Think about the genetic corruption that's going on. God will destroy those who destroy and corrupt the earth. That is the time we are living in in the fulfillment of these prophecies. And the very next verse speaks about the temple of God. And that's something I want to talk with you about as well. Now, let me see where we're at and where we've come from. We've talked about the legal system of the dead, the court system and the fiat financial system, and how essentially Satan claims under his kingdom all those who do not assert their sovereignty as children of God, essentially. And you can see how clearly that happens if you don't adopt Bitcoin, you don't hold your keys under your own, your coins under your own keys, then you are not taking advantage of the free will opportunity that Christ has given you to be sovereign under his kingdom. And instead, you fall under or remain under the power of the kingdoms of darkness, the power of the kingdom of the dead. Okay. Now, I guess before I leave this topic entirely, I want to uh, mention I had a conversation with someone this week in regards to financial matters and kind of looking for ways to basically preserve wealth and avoid unnecessary taxes, you know, just be wise about things. And this conversation uh I was speaking with somebody who is 100% pro-government and in favor of 
the legal system and, you know, one who uses it to his advantage very well, I must say. Okay, but in talking about personal sovereignty with this individual, it finally came out and became clear throughout the conversation that ultimately to use the methods of the kingdom of darkness, of the kingdom of the dead, to preserve one's wealth, you ultimately have to give up your personal sovereignty. So, for example, you can create a shell company and a dead body, okay, a corpse, and you can control that so that you maintain your sovereignty, so to speak, over that corpse. But that shell corporation then can be established in whatever venue you choose so that you can have the appropriate benefits of the tax laws and so forth. And, you know, these are all things that people do, especially wealthy people, in order to hold on to their wealth. Well, the thing with Bitcoin is that that Bitcoin then needs to be in the possession of the corporation. Okay, it's owned by the corporation, not by the individual. If Bitcoin is the form of wealth that that should take. And in the case that the person wants to hold their wealth in Bitcoin. But this then comes back to the requirement to have, for example, your private keys held in a safe deposit box in a bank in the name of that corporation. And in that way, once again, you cannot escape this custody aspect that in order to benefit from this kingdom of the dead, in order to make it work to your advantage, in order to have the benefits that Satan offers you, you have to give up something. And what you give up is your personal sovereignty. You give up who you are. You give up your status as a living being with full willing power over your own body and your own resources. You make yourself a slave to the system. That's the only way to be successful in the kingdom of the dead. By contrast, God is the giver of life and freedom. He gave us free will, and we don't have to give that up. We don't have to yield our bodies to be corrupted or abused. We don't have to yield the fruits of our labors to be custodied and controlled by other institutions. That's, that's a free will choice. What you do with your life, what you work on, who you work for, what you work in exchange for. These are matters of free will. Now, many people are oppressed. Many people are put in a disadvantageous position that almost robs them of that free will because they feel like they have no way out. They have no option but what the options are that are given to them. But this is a victim mindset. And Bitcoin comes to kind of sweep that away. Under Bitcoin, you don't have to have a victim mindset because Bitcoin restores that self-sovereignty to the individual. And you might say, well, Bitcoin's too expensive, you know, or, you know, the fees are too high. I can't even, you know, do one transaction on the blockchain because it just costs too much, you know. Even if, you know, there are many, many people in the world that are that poor, that that's a real concern. And I would just say that's where, you know, to such individuals, I would say, don't let that hinder you. Seek out a Bitcoiner. Seek out those who understand this system. And, you know, Bitcoiners 
every Bitcoiner can easily be a bank through the Lightning Network. All they have to do is run a Lightning node and host wallets for their friends and family. And if you're one of those friends and family, you can have your own Bitcoin wallet and deal with small transactions with very little fees. And from there, you can build up your life. You can rebuild your life with the freedom and the sovereignty that Bitcoin offers. Yes, it's a custodial solution. Lightning wallets are custodial wallets. But if your custodian is a Bitcoiner who understands the difference between the kingdom of life and the kingdom of the dead, then you're in a much better position than to remain a slave in the kingdom of the dead. Everyone needs an intercessor. First and foremost, Jesus Christ. But insofar as his kingdom is extended here on earth through the system of Bitcoin and through Bitcoiners, that's a system that you can submit yourself to. Those are people, not everyone has the right mindset in this regard, but generally speaking, among Bitcoiners, you will find those who can be your intercessor in financial matters here on earth, in matters of justice, in matters of your life earnings. It says in the book of Revelation that God has made us kings and priests. That is to say, self-sovereign as well as intercessors. That means Bitcoiners holding coin on-chain. Those are the sovereigns, the kings, and those kings are also priests. That is to say, intercessors by using their on-chain Bitcoin in lightning channels to provide custodial solutions to those who cannot otherwise afford to get into Bitcoin because of the expensive fees and generally the amount of money that's necessary to practically do an on-chain transaction. Bitcoiners are kings and priests. And praise God that the Lord has made us kings and priests unto God. So let us, as Bitcoiners, use that standing as kings and priests carefully in the fear of God to help those who are worthy and who are seeking justice in their lives. Okay, that was kind of going in a direction I didn't really plan, but I think that was very important too. So I think overall we've given a good case for moving from the kingdom of the dead into the kingdom of the living. And I'm not sure how we're doing on time. I'll have to see how this edits down. Um... So let's just, maybe since we mentioned it at the very beginning about this December 18, why don't we take a look at that right now really quick and just kind of see a little bit what's behind that. And maybe that will set the stage for the next episode. Okay, so what happened on December 18, 15 years ago, that was in the news recently? Sorry, not 15 years ago. It was 10 years ago. December 18 is when oh, somebody uh, posted on the Bitcoin Talk forum the famous, now famous post about hodling, which is a misspelling of the word holding. And essentially, if I can just summarize the point here, the man argues for holding your Bitcoin instead of selling in a bear market. He basically gives his reasons for holding Bitcoin instead of selling in the current market at that time. And essentially, it's 
basically saying that speculating in the markets by buying and selling and trying to do it at the right times to make a profit, that you have to be an expert to succeed at that. Or he says you only sell in a bear market if you are a good day trader or an illusioned noob. The people in between hold. And so basically that's sound financial advice that it's better to hold, better to save than to try to play the markets. Okay, and I guess that wasn't quite as climactic as I thought, but essentially it does kind of tie into this point that December 18 in the course of history was also the date of the temple's foundation, the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the connection here is a loose one, okay? And the only connection I want to make here is just that holding, holding Bitcoin, is in essence putting your life force, the thing you've worked for, the reward of your labors, putting that on the blockchain and then just keeping it there, holding it there, okay? And the temple in Jerusalem was praised and admired for its gold and the wealth incorporated in its construction and in all of the vessels that were used in the temple services and so forth. And the point I want to come to here is that in a certain sense, this wealth in the temple represents the wealth created or resulting from the work of individuals, the life force that God has given each one of us to invest. And when you put that life force into Bitcoin, that makes Bitcoin as a system, makes it a temple. It makes it the temple of the Lord because the system of Bitcoin follows the principles of the kingdom of heaven and conserves that life force that he has endowed each one of us with. That's really a deep thought. And it's all kind of summarized in this secular post, this famous HODL post that says, don't trade yourself in the markets. Hold your value securely on the blockchain. He says in this post here, in a zero-sum game such as this, traders can only take your money if you sell. He says, when the traders buy back in, as a hodler, I'm already part of the market capital. So guess who you're cheating, day traders? Not me. So he's, he's stating the fact here that day traders are cheaters. They're cheating. They're cheating other people who have weak hands and are selling their Bitcoin because the market is collapsing. And that essentially corresponds to the kingdom of the dead. It's sort of a legalized way of cheating. And those who are losing in those transactions, they're doing it of their own free will. So you can't really say it's anyone's fault but their own. But at the same time, others are profiting from that. Others who are perhaps more intelligent, perhaps more savvy, whatever. That's the same principle that the legal system works on that says that assumes in the courts that people are incompetent unless they demonstrate otherwise, and that the court has therefore the right to treat them as dead and to essentially railroad them and manage their money for them, decide their cases for them on that basis. It's the same mindset 
reflected here or described here by this hodler, this first hodler, okay? So I think that's very interesting, but the important point, what I really want to drive at here is this concept of investing your life force into the system of Bitcoin makes Bitcoin the temple of the living God. It's the temple that's adorned with the gold of living sovereign people with free will. Now, this brings me to what I consider to be a very important development in the history of Bitcoin, which is the commencement of the Bitcoin ETF. It was approved recently, over a month ago, and well, near the beginning of this year. And since then, BlackRock has been buying a lot of Bitcoin. And those who are in the know are saying that the recent rise in the Bitcoin price is because of the sheer volume of Bitcoin that's being purchased by BlackRock. Now, Bitcoin purists are generally not enthusiastic about ETFs, Bitcoin ETFs, because this opens Bitcoin to the whims and market influences of big corporations, namely BlackRock in this particular case. And BlackRock is the largest investment firm in the world. According to Google, it manages $8.6 trillion worth of assets. And so that's a whole lot of weight, monetary weight to throw around. And when Bitcoin is sort of traded on paper, so to speak, through this ETF, it puts the market value of Bitcoin kind of at the whims of the investors of BlackRock. And any policy that government makes that affects investors and investment companies like BlackRock will therefore also have an effect on Bitcoin, on the price of Bitcoin. And so this is really considered to be a negative development for Bitcoin in a certain sense. Although those who understand what Bitcoin is, what it really represents, and what its true value is, will never be shaken. Okay, now just to kind of put a different perspective on this, I want to tell you what the cost of Bitcoin actually is. What is its true value, so to speak, and how is that determined apart from trading markets? Okay, and that is to, to understand that you have to ask, well, where does Bitcoin come from? And of course, the answer is it comes from miners. It comes from building. We as human beings built computers or build computers and particularly this special type of computer called a miner. And when we plug in this computer, it performs calculations that ultimately produce Bitcoin. Okay. Now that Bitcoin is produced on a diminishing basis so that there's a fixed number of Bitcoin that will ever be produced. But that doesn't stop the miners from quote-unquote, producing Bitcoin, because as the virgin Bitcoin, the original Bitcoin in production diminishes to zero, and that's what the whole having coming up soon is about. It's about that diminishing amount of original Bitcoin that's entering circulation through the mining process. But meanwhile, everyone who is conducting transactions on the blockchain is paying fees 
in order to have their transactions included by the miners. And those fees are distributed through the block rewards as part of the output, part of the Bitcoin that's produced by these miners. So even as the original supply is diminishing, the miners are still producing Bitcoin. To think of it in terms of gold blocks, they are taking the shavings, the gold shavings from the gold blocks that are transacted on the Bitcoin network and remelting them into new Bitcoin that is then produced by the miners. But that new Bitcoin is just a remelting of the existing Bitcoin. It's not an increase in the supply, overall supply of Bitcoin. Okay, so conceptually, back to our simplified example, Bitcoin mining machines are just computers. When you plug them in, they produce Bitcoin. But of course, they're drawing electricity from the grid and they cost money and they require maintenance. And so when you factor in all those costs, the cost of the machine, the cost of the maintenance and the cost of the electricity and perhaps other things. And then you compare that with the amount of Bitcoin that's produced that gives you the valuation that tells you how much Bitcoin is actually worth. That's the definition of Bitcoin's value in relation to the fiat system or the real world in general. And that makes it interesting in terms of what happens with regards to the markets and how the Bitcoin price might rise or fall drastically because of market influences. The real monetary value of Bitcoin is not determined by the markets. That's the market value in a certain way. But the actual value in fiat terms is determined by the cost of mining. Okay, so the point here is that a lot of interesting things are going to be happening with the price and are already happening with the rising price of Bitcoin because of the BlackRock ETF. But I want to put this in a larger context of what's really going on here. Because, you know, everything is significant. And you can tell even in the name BlackRock what this is about. We've talked about the two different systems, the fiat system with its courts and law and everything, and the Bitcoin system with its own code as law, and how the fiat system is the system of the dead, or the system of darkness, where black rock participates, rules. And on the side of Bitcoin is the system of justice, the system of life. And interestingly, those who have life, it says in the book of Revelation, are given a white stone, not a black rock, but a white stone. Let's just read that really quick. This is in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, in the conclusion to the letter to the church of Pergamos. And he says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, hidden manna, invisible food. Bitcoin is invisible money to provide your food. And will give him a white stone. And in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, save he that receiveth it. And I talked about that in a previous episode. What is the name that everyone receives when they enter the Bitcoin network, a name which no man knoweth it, saving he that receiveth it. That's the private key. Nobody knows your private key except you, or at least no one should. That's the power of the private key. And here it says 
that that is given in the form of a white stone given by who? By Jesus Christ, who's speaking here in this verse. Where does your private key come from? It comes from random data. It comes from entropy, randomness, rolling the dice. Now, all through history, going way back, even in the Bible it's described that randomness comes from God. When they would cast lots, as described many times in the Old Testament, they would do so in order to understand the will of God. The things that apparently happen by random chance are not random in the sight of God. In his vision, in his all-knowing wisdom, in his omniscience, everything is deterministic. And therefore, what is expressed through randomness, because it is beyond the ability of human beings to ascertain, it is considered the pure knowledge of God, the pure expression of God's wisdom, untainted by human understanding. No human can create something that is truly random or understand what determines a random value. When we roll the dice, for example, it is at some level not entirely random. Each die bounces on the surface on which it lands, and depending on the characteristics of that surface and the characteristics of the die itself, it will rebound in a certain way, roll in a certain way. Its mass will cause it to have rotational inertia on a certain axis, and its, its motion is ultimately defined by the laws of physics. And we can simulate such things in computers and, for example, render in a graphics program the simulated behavior of rolling the dice. So in a certain sense, if you could understand clearly enough how the laws of physics, the laws of nature, are being applied to this situation, the rolling of the dice is not truly random. But it's so difficult to ascertain how these physical laws are interacting that it is effectively random. The only one who could truly predict the number on the die the moment it leaves a person's hand is God himself because of his omniscience and his ability to see every single influence that will react upon that die during that time from when it left the person's hand until it comes to rest. So in that way, your private key coming from random data is given to you by God. It's the casting of a lot. It's the rolling of the dice. And by the way, dice are white. They're like a white stone. And on them are numbers written, a name written, symbols written, which are the numbers that are used to form the private key. That's the name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Okay? That's what is given to the overcomers. If you're an overcomer, then you must have a white stone to prove it. You must have a private key to prove it. You must be a Bitcoiner to be an overcomer. Interesting, isn't it? And then you can eat of the hidden manna. Then you can buy things with invisible money that people don't know where it comes from. It just comes from heaven. Every time the Bitcoin price goes up, there's more of it in your pocket. What a blessing. What a divine gift. Praise God for that. Praise God. Well, but that's the white stone. 
Now, many don't know this, but Black Rock is actually a spin-off. I don't know, I don't remember the exact history, but the founders of Black Rock were connected to a different financial company called Blackstone. Well, there you have it directly in the same words, Whitestone, Blackstone. But never mind, a rock and a stone is the same thing. Black Rock is therefore the contrary, the opposite of what this white stone is that the Bible speaks of. So if you hold your money in a Bitcoin ETF, you're holding it in Satan's system without self-sovereignty. But when you hold Bitcoin with your own private key, with the name that's written on your own white stone, your own random key, then you are sovereign over that Bitcoin. Then you're an overcomer and you've overcome the system of the beast, so to speak. Interesting, isn't it? Yes. So now I want to come and kind of bring this full circle a little bit to where we started when we were talking about the terminology of the fiat and legal system and how they refer to people as vessels. Now, what is BlackRock actually doing? It's taking people's money, people's resources, people's life force, and it's dealing with it. It's trading with Bitcoin, trading with people's life force, playing games with people's lives, manipulating the Bitcoin price at the whims of Wall Street. People's lives who have fled from the kingdom of death into the kingdom of life. When I, as a Bitcoiner, who hold my coins sovereignly, have that invested and locked in the blockchain, secured there, and Blackstone comes along, BlackRock, sorry, <laughs> comes along and because of their sheer size, begins to influence the market. And perhaps maybe they, in the future, sell everything because of whatever reasons and the price of Bitcoin crashes and they destroy the lives of all those who have invested in Bitcoin. Just a hypothetical possibility. I'm not saying that will happen. But essentially, what has happened with BlackRock's ETF getting approved is that the system, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of death, has begun to use the wealth of the righteous, the wealth of the system of justice, for their unclean activities. Now, there's a story about this in the Bible. It's the story of the fall of the kingdom of Babylon. King Belshazzar. Let's just read that in the book of Daniel. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. We could understand this in the financial context today as being the king of this world. Let's just call him Satan. If you know who he is, he has other names. If you know who he is, if you know, you know. But let's just call him Satan, the king of this world, the king of Babylon today, the ruler of the kingdoms of this world, ordered the printing of money. You remember in 2020 and with the onset of the COVID crisis and all this, all the money printing that had started at that time. That's the, the great feast to the thousand of his lords and the drinking wine in front of the thousand. Okay, verse 2, Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, <laughs> while he was enjoying all that money printing, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Interesting. Now the money printing, now the speculation, 
the paper Bitcoin possibilities with BlackRock have been approved, now Wall Street is drinking out of the vessels of Bitcoin, the vessels of the kingdom of God, the vessels of his temple. Now remember, we are vessels. We can be filled with the Holy Spirit, or we can be possessed by evil spirits. We are vessels. We are vessels of the temple, just as in the New Testament, we are called living stones that make up the temple. We are also the living vessels. When we put our life force, the fruits of our labors, into Bitcoin, we are bringing our vessels, our bodies, our lives, our products, into the temple of God. But BlackRock is coming along here, taking custody of those vessels, just as Babylon took custody of the vessels that were in the temple at Jerusalem. BlackRock is taking custody of people's Bitcoin. And the moment they start speculating with that, they start drinking the wine of Babylon out of those holy vessels. Verse 4, They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. They praised the fiat financial system, the fiat forms of wealth. Now, friends, this is serious. In verse 5, In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Now, because of the rise in Bitcoin's price, it just so happened in the world of Twitter that Michael Saylor kind of poked at the press that had knocked him when the price of Bitcoin was low. And he basically kind of pointed out that he's totally vindicated now. And the next day, somebody trolled Elizabeth Warren and kind of made it out to be that she had flipped sides and was no longer attacking Bitcoin, but had changed sides. And there's kind of a lot behind that. But what I want to really bring out here is the fact that people are seeing the handwriting on the wall. People are seeing that Bitcoin is the king in the financial world. It is going to take over and that the traditional financial system doesn't stand a chance. The handwriting is on the wall. Bitcoin, as a system of justice, is bringing justice to this world, bringing judgment to this world, and Babylon is about to fall. Why? Because they're drinking out of the holy vessels. That's what BlackRock represents. We are living in very interesting times. Now, I just want to share with you the last chunk of money that I received. I felt a holy urgency to convert that into Bitcoin as quickly as I could. And I think I did it in record time, which was three days from cash to coin without going through the financial system. And in retrospect, boy, am I glad I felt that holy urgency, so to speak, because the price is a lot higher now. I want to urge all of you to do the same. Move your money from cash, from fiat, into Bitcoin as quickly as you can and hold it there. I'm not going to sell it now that the price is higher. I'm going to praise God and continue to promote the principles of his kingdom. In this way, by moving over to the Bitcoin standard, you and I 
become holy vessels in the temple of God. We are the living stones that build up the temple of God, transaction by transaction, block by block. And we come full circle again to one of the things I said at the beginning of this episode, which is Satan is the great copycat. Now, we have talked about Babylon and the Tower of Babel in one of my early episodes. And today, I want to share with you the other side of this picture of Babylon. Now, the builders of the Tower of Babel, the masons, the bricklayers, that's all understood now to be part of Satan's kingdom and the building of his Tower of Babel. And ultimately, his goal is to reach heaven, or in other words, usurp the throne of God, to be the ruler in place of God. Okay, But this idea of building the Tower of Babel is nothing new. It's not something that Satan invented. It's something that Satan copied. You see, there already is a tower. It's not the Tower of Babel, but there is a tower that reaches to heaven. There is a tower at the top of which sits God's throne. And this tower, not being built by dead stones, God does not sit over a congregation of dead souls like Satan does. No, he sits over the congregation of the living. He gives them life. His temple is the temple built with living stones. His tower, the tower of the Lord, is the original tower that Satan copied. And what is that tower? What is that temple? Well, I think we can find a very apt illustration of it in the Bitcoin blockchain. It is a blockchain, after all, and it has a height that is always growing, kind of like the Tower of Babel. But it's not like the Tower of Babel. It is illustrating the principles of the original kingdom that the Tower of Babel was the counterfeit of. Block by block, we are building the temple of God. Brick by brick, stone by stone, we invest our life force, our wages, the products of our labor into the kingdom of God when we purchase Bitcoin with the usefulness that God has given us. In that way, we fund, we promote, we build the kingdom of justice. We promote justice here in this world and take our usefulness away from the system of abuse of Satan with his black rocks and his dead vessels in the court systems and his summoning of the dead souls to appear in court for his ruling over their financial assets. No, no, no. In Bitcoin, when you hold your private key, your coins under your private key, as a living person, sovereign over your wealth, you are living in the kingdom of the living it is your will, your free will, that God has given you. The will not only of your own body, your own actions, but by extension, your will over the products of your actions, the products of your labors, your will over your wealth. That is what God has given us by giving us free will. And through Bitcoin, he has given us the whole world, collectively the whole world, and he's partitioned it. He's divided up the kingdom of this world to each one of us in proportion to our value, our worthiness, our usefulness in his sight. 
Every work you do, do it as if you're doing it for the Lord. This is what Jesus taught, and this is what we see playing out when you do your work for Bitcoin. Jesus comes with his reward in hand. Friends, take your stand for the kingdom of God. Forsake Babylon. Dry out her river so that the armies of justice can conquer that city. All in one day, in the same night that they held that party, the same night that the handwriting was on the wall, the city of Babylon fell. We could say perhaps that a day is like a year, that 2024, the year that the BlackRock ETF was approved, is the year of Babylon's fall, the year of the dollar's fall. That's what I believe, and I believe it's a biblically sound interpretation, but I can only recommend you study the things yourself. There's so much more that could be said that I'm not saying in this podcast just because time is limited, and I want to give you what I think others are not saying. The things that you can find elsewhere, by all means, find elsewhere. By not repeating things, I'm not implying they are unimportant, but I want you to understand the new things that nobody else is talking about. That's what I'm trying to do in this podcast. So, wow, this was a big subject today, an amazing one. And for me, a lot of aspects of this were kind of building piece by piece through the week as I encountered different pieces of information. And it all just kind of came together in this message for you today. And I hope that it has really made an impression on you. I hope that it has changed your thinking. I hope that it offers a paradigm shift and that it urges you and gives you that same urgency to flee from the Babylonian financial system. Flee in the sense of taking your funds out of that system and putting it into the system of Bitcoin. And, you know, one of the things I'm doing here in my local community uh, as a Bitcoin holder and as a Bitcoin node runner is I'm running a lightning node and hosting wallets for my friends and family, many of whom in this particular country do not have the level of resources that people do in other countries. They can't afford to buy Bitcoin on chain, not to mention the facts that the systems are not in place for them to do so. And so one of the things that I do as part of my ministry for the Lord is I run a lightning node and I host wallets for those who want to participate in Bitcoin, but who cannot really have any other way to do it. Yes, it's a custodial solution. In that way, I'm operating as the intercessor, as king and priest in the system of Bitcoin. You can do that too if you have the resources. And if you don't have the resources, find someone who does and who can help you get on board in the same way as I am helping others. And those who came on board in just in recent weeks with small amounts of money, small, small amounts of money, literally just hundreds of satoshis. And yet the value of those satoshis in the local currency has gone up, you know, 30% in just recent times. Imagine the benefit that provides to those who are poor. Imagine the hope. Imagine the freedom, the hope of freedom that that brings. The sense of justice, the sense of value to their labors. Now, I don't have much. I'm not a whale or something like that in terms of Bitcoin. I don't have much. But it's amazing that the little bit I have can be such a 
benefit to others. The gap in wealth is so great in some places that you just have no idea. So I want to encourage you, no matter where you are, to make the appropriate steps. If you're on the bottom end of the, you know, living in poverty, you can still set aside those few satoshis and and watch the value increase. If you can afford a few hundred dollars, if you can afford to do an on-chain transaction, which is getting more expensive every day, not because of the price of Bitcoin is going up, but because of other factors in relation to ordinal inscriptions and BRC20 tokens and who knows whatever else. Just Bitcoin transactions in general. The more the network is used, the more valuable it becomes and the higher the fees become in times when people are doing a lot of trading. So when there's more activity on the network, the fees are higher. Okay, So it's getting harder and harder to get Bitcoin on chain. And once it's on chain, you've got to be careful also that it's in large enough chunks that you can still spend it in a practical way considering the higher fees. So be wise. There are some things to pay attention to. Not everyone is an overcomer. Okay, so I think this makes an episode. And I just want to close with praise to God, thanks to God for the freedom that he has given us and for the opportunity to invest in his kingdom right here, right now, even before we see the physical new earth, the physical city of God. So as always, God be with you this week and may he guide you in all that you do. Don't forget him. Don't forget his benefits. And remember to show kindness to others as God has shown kindness to you, not to the undeserving, but according to your judgment in the fear of God as a king and priest in his kingdom. God be with you.